What's up, everybody? We're back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast, where I'm joined with the couch investor. We talk about his experience investing, his overall view in the macro, and we go into deep, deep detail into a lot of his holdings. But as always, both the couch investor and I are not financial advisors, so whatever you hear in this podcast is simply for entertainment purposes only and not financial advice. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, we are back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. I am joined by a couch investor where I connected with him on both Common Stock and on Twitter. So, uh, couch investor, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Doing great. How are you? Thanks for I'm having doing me. Well. I'm doing well. So, um, I know that you are uh, you know, over in Europe and it's a little bit after work, so I appreciate you joining me as we're streaming this on Tuesday, May 3rd. So, um, you know, if anything big news comes out in the market after that this week, um, you know, obviously we won't talk about that here. But, um, you know, how are things going for you uh, so far this year as far as like investing goes and, uh, yeah, like content creation and all that kind of stuff? So investing-wise, I think we can all agree it's been, a let's say, disasterly. Since the start of the year, I think it's it's been the, the worst start of the year since, well, you know, they say it's, it's worse than 2008, I think. So t- there is that. But it's weird because in 2008, obviously, I was much younger. But even then, I, I could feel that things were much worse than they are today. Like today, unemployment rates are extremely low. Business is booming. Yes, we had GDP numbers last week, decreased year over year. But... Overall, you wouldn't really think it's worse than the 08 crisis. But for stocks, I could understand why there is a, a crash. Because we've seen 2020, everything went up like it was nuts. And now we have consequences of printing trillions and trillions of dollars and giving it away for, for basically for free. Um, and for YouTube, YouTube has been actually very slow as well. At the start of the year, I think it's... It fits the, the momentum of the market. I think people are maybe less interested right now since everything goes down, even though when everything goes down is actually when you should be looking to invest and not when everything has gone up a thousand percent, but everything, everybody does what he thinks is best for his portfolio. So yeah, there is the basic overview. All right. So yeah, let's, let's bring it back a little bit. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, how things are going this year, but um, you know, when did you start investing and, uh, you know, how did you kind of get your start? Cause I know you're, you, like I mentioned before, you're like, you're over in Europe and, uh, you know, if you want to go to your Twitter account, it's at couch investor. Um, you have your portfolio or at couch underscore investor. I'm sorry. You have your portfolio pinned to your, um, your Twitter, uh, account. And it looks like a lot of them are American companies. So, um, did you kind of learn from, you know, a lot of, uh, I guess, American content investors or is it, is it relatively common for, uh, I guess, Europeans to have a, a big holding in American companies? Yeah, so I started investing in 2016. Um, so since I started investing, I saw a bit of everything, right? We had presidential elections, we had trade wars, pandemics, now you know, maybe a recession and then some other wars here and there. So in a small amount of time, I've seen, I've seen it all. But 
yeah, regardless regarding the the holdings, I well, this portfolio is completely different than the one I had in 2016. But even back then, I had mostly American American stocks because. Let's be honest, in Europe, you don't really have that many big companies that are known worldwide, that produce goods and services that you use each and every day. So at first I had the likes of Microsoft in my portfolio because using Windows, using all of their products, Xbox, well, maybe not Xbox, but I knew people that had it. So it was pretty common to go the US route. I had some European stocks here and there, but the majority is, is US. There are obviously other people that have lots of holdings in Europe. There are some great companies, ASML, semiconductor uh, company, great company, Adian, uh, another great company that focuses on fintech and payment infrastructures, which are both from the Netherlands, by the way. Um, but overall, yeah, it's been US all the way because like Warren Buffett say, never bet against the United States. So I follow what, what the old man has said for years and years. So have you, uh, is that kind of how you got your start and uh, did research to kind of learn how to how to invest? You uh, almost like researched and implemented a lot of uh, what Warren Buffett teaches. So yeah, at first it was, because I had things like, like, funny enough, I had Pfizer in my portfolio as well before Pfizer was cool with, uh, with, with uh, jabbing people. But uh, yeah, I had value stocks let's say value companies in my portfolio which right now if you look at it has has grown into a growth portfolio with a lot of well, smaller speculative positions but yeah at first it's it's always you start investing you look at the great ones benjamin graham buffett my favorite one is peter lynch so i have the i have actually his book here very very good book one up on wall street um so yeah it's you start like this, you know the basics, uh, no hype, purely like investing what you know. Like like they said, the math you need to invest is, is simple math. You don't really need to be like a genius with an MBA or a PhD or whatever in finance to, to be a good investor. It's a lot more emotionally based, let's say, than, than math based. Like you can screw up because you think, oh, one day it's down. So I'm wrong or one day it's up. So I must be right. doesn't really work that way. Gotcha. Well, it seems like now a lot of the companies that you have are more growth-based or how uh, investors mm -hmm. categorize as growth-based stocks. And we'll kind of get into a deeper dive in your portfolio. But how did you kind of transition from more so the value-based uh, investing and into the growth-based investing? So the short answer was, I was young, so why not take on more risk? Um, I mean, started 2016, it was six years ago, I'm almost 28, so 22. I was like, with, with such small positions in, in dividend-paying companies and companies that are barely growing, well, I don't know, a couple of percentage, single digits per year, not going to retire early. And, and when I'm 22, I don't really mind the risk. Because if I screw up, then I can always recover later on. Um, so that's why my portfolio now is, is mainly growth. Yes, I have Amazon, Facebook, Tesla is huge now, but that's mainly because I invested in 2019. So that position grew because the company grew in the stock, well, almost more than 20x or so in, in three short years. So 
that's that's mainly the reason. Yeah, it seems like a lot of younger investors uh, have a lot of the same mindset that you do. I know that I do as well, um, because you know the the I guess the old adage of uh, older investors and even you know Warren Buffett to an extent he talks about just putting in you know, dollar cost averaging into the S and P five hundred and just uh, you know letting that sort of ride. Um, so when you were doing your research on Warren Buffett, what made you decide to uh, I guess you know go into more uh, single stocks or single companies instead of just, uh, I guess, dollar cost averaging your way into to many indexes? Did you just enjoy researching companies or um, did you just think that, hey, you know, like you said before, you're young or you're risky and uh, are you, you're young and you can accept that risk. And uh, because of that, you know, might as well try to beat the market. Yeah, so at first, actually, at both. So in the portfolio, I, I had VOO, which is the, the Vanguard ETF, and I had individual stocks. So that way, at first, I can maybe screw up, but at least I'm, I have some part of my portfolio in, in the ETF, so to keep it balanced. But then I just, I just enjoyed. I just enjoyed researching individual companies, and why not try and beat the market? You don't have to like have a compound annual growth rate of 50%, but then let's try and see what happens. Because reading all these books, at the end of the day, you, you notice that if you're serious in investing, it's not that difficult for the long run. Because obviously, if you're doing it for five years, it doesn't make any sense. If you're doing it for 20 or more years, it's, it's pretty surprising to see someone screw up. Yeah, because I think in the end, you know, uh, the the added joke right now is just, you know, stocks go up. And, uh, you know, even though we're in volatile times, and I think like right now, like you're saying, it, it's one of the worst starts of the year that we've had since you know, maybe 2008 or, or nine that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you hold long enough, if you have a long enough time horizon, uh, you know, this, those stocks are, are eventually going to, to go up unless you're investing in uh, very poor companies. So, um, yeah, so how do you, uh, I guess, look at uh, companies and find, um, you know, various companies that you're going to decide to invest in? Do you, um, you know, do research on you know, maybe other investors or, or other things like that? Or um, are you more so just kind of uh, like, like you said, with the Warren Buffett model, just invest in companies that you that you use? Yeah, so if you look at, at the holdings, it's either e-commerce, advertising, gaming, and then I have some AI and stuff. And then obviously yeah, there is Tesla in there, but I pick, I pick a couple of industries and then I, I just go and find some interesting companies and, and see, see where it leads me. I obviously used to read our reading and writing for the fool right now. Cause you, I get the people that are maybe saying, Oh, the fool just pumps and dumps and whatever. But then again, Everybody that writes for the fool writes for themselves. It's independent, independent writers. And you get different, like you get bears and you get bulls there. It just, just depends how you, how you interpret it the, the right way. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like a couple of industries and then see who's the, the big player there, let's say. And then maybe sometimes who's the small player that might become big one day. Um, I have Lemonade, yes, extremely risky. It's really small position and company that's barely five years old. But if it works out, it's a $100 billion or more company in the making. Because if you look at all states, state farm, all those big guys, 
they are pretty huge and pretty old as well. So sometimes I like to, to play the, the, the smaller player in the market for those multi-baggers. Maybe it goes wrong, maybe it goes right. Time will tell, but it's important to put those positions as extremely small as compared to the likes of Facebook or Amazon or, or well, even now Tesla. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, like you said, like now because we're young, we ha we kind of have room for, uh, you know, potentially, uh, you know, taking a little bit more risk. And you know, at the same time, that those might work out and they might you know, be great if you if you value or you evaluate the market and uh, you know the industry that those companies are in. I think that's a you know extremely valuable point. Um, so you mentioned the fool. I know you write a little bit for the Motley Fool. So tell us about your, uh, you know, experience with that. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess just overall being able to, uh, you know, put out your ideas and, uh, you know, write, uh, you know, I guess, long form thesis or, you know, maybe more opinion based articles on uh, companies that you're looking at. Yeah, so for me, with the fool, it's completely different than the way they traditionally did things. Because when I started there, they were trying video. So you will see in my well, in all my articles, it's basically highlights of the video that will be shown below. So my articles are rarely very long. It's basically key points of what the video will discuss. Because I do want the traffic to go through YouTube and watch the video. Um, so whatever is mentioned in the video, I try to summarize some key points, put it in the article, put the video there, and then see where that goes. Um, most of, well, most of the videos I make are opinion-based or news-based. So if it's earnings, you know, we go over the earnings, the earnings call, summarize it for people that maybe don't want to read everything and just want the major highlights. Um, if there's some news, cover the news as, as good as we can. And then if it's a deep dive, then yes, it will be a bit longer. And then we go for investor presentation, past quarterly earnings reports, et cetera, and then talk about the most important part is what the company actually does. Cause you can look at the numbers, but if you don't understand what they do, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that's really interesting. Um, and then I guess let's, let's go to your, your YouTube account and, uh, I guess your other content creation that you, that you put out based on investing. So, how has the response been for, uh, I guess, you putting out all of your content? I know, uh, you know, your YouTube is, uh, you know, pretty successful. You have uh, close to 21,000 subscribers. Um, so how has that been? Have you seen like a positive or negative response? Um, do you get, you know, a lot of critics when you base that, when you bring up uh, various companies? Um, you know, and if so, kind of go into, uh, you know, I guess just putting yourself out there like that. Yeah, so now obviously there's always more negativity as the market goes down. All the people that come out of their basements and say, oh, you see, it's down, you must be wrong. Or, oh, you see, uh -huh, have fun staying poor or things like that. But it's normal when you, when you put content out there on the internet, now with social media and everything, it's, you can expect toxicity. And <clears throat> during worst times then yes more people will come out and, and try and be as toxic as they can but generally it's because either they lost money they're having a bad day it's less about you maybe putting out the wrong content because what i'm putting out is basic information that everybody can 
just go and do the research themselves or putting my opinion out there. I can be wrong, I can be right. Uh, it is what it is. But yeah, the majority is positive because the percentage of likes towards dislikes is always either 100% likes or over 90% likes. So the majority of people are are pretty smart, let's say. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, majority of people will come to your channel and kind of like respect what you're doing and, you know, understand what you're trying to do and educate and, uh, you know, share your opinion. Um, But yeah, I I think it's always an interesting dynamic when you have like content creation around investing, um, because, you know, we kind of pedal that line where it's like, all right, well, we do invest, um, you know, we hold specific companies and we're giving out our opinions. Some people may you know, invest uh, based on what we're doing or like at least look into a company a little bit more um, and others may, you know, discredit our opinion because we invest in a company that they might not like. Um, so, like I said, yeah, it's a, it's a little interesting. Um, but uh, so outside of YouTube, uh, I know you use Twitter uh, a little bit and uh, Common Stock. Have you had a, uh, I guess, a good experience with any of those platforms or any other one, even like Reddit or, or anything like that, where, um, you know, you've gone somewhere and shared uh, your thesis or um, anything like that? No, so the main, no, it's it's YouTube, Twitter, Common Stock. Common Stock is actually great. Like it's it's taking every, well, the good thing that's on Twitter and then just keep it keep it as, as Fintwit without every other troll or meme or, or whatever, um, which makes it an extremely valuable valuable platform. Like you can have long, long form posts, videos, etc. Um, the people on there are serious, unlike everybody that's on Twitter. But then again, Twitter is, is troll paradise. So there, there is that. Um, and same thing with Reddit. I barely go on Reddit because you know, it's too too time consuming to go on each and every platform, and then with Reddit, it's just another another universe there. So it's mainly YouTube, Twitter, common stock, and, and that's about it. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Um, and I know that you and I both are actually doing the next mm-hmm. uh, market game where we're pitching, um, you know, stock uh, stock ideas. I believe you are pitching Roku. Is that Roku. correct? Yeah. Yeah, because so um, that was it's Oroku or Square, but uh, I took that from you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess let's get into uh, Square because I know that's one of your bigger holdings, according to your uh, profile that you got here. Um, let yes. me pull that Although, up. Yeah, if you look so- at my tweets, you might think that I'm not a big fan of the company because I always well go against Jack Dorsey, but that's his fault. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into that. So uh, your two biggest holdings are uh, Tesla at 32% and Square at 10%. And then you don't have any other stock above five. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about Square since we already kind of brought it up. Um, you mentioned Jack Dorsey already. So what don't you really like about him? What makes you, I guess, a little bit bearish on Square uh, going forward? So first up was the fact that he was CEO of Twitter and Square at the same time, which to me made made no sense. Like, it, it just doesn't work. Elon Musk makes it work because it's Elon. But Jack, 
it doesn't work because well twitter is 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 just a political platform nowadays and then it just got worse and worse along the years and then with every tweet that he put out especially since he left the company it was completely like i don't know he went on a on a on a rant but the main the main thing is is his bitcoin focus like when i started investing in square bitcoin was rare, rarely mentioned and then each and every year it just like bitcoin this bitcoin that like the fact that on cash app you cannot have any other cryptocurrency to to buy and sell or trade or send or whatever is it's a bit annoying as a shareholder like i understand from its standpoint since he thinks that bitcoin is king and bitcoin will solve the world's problem like a will world peace i don't know maybe he smoked something before he tweeted that out but um yeah i don't know the focus should be on the company and returning value to shareholders. The focus should not be on making Bitcoin the solution to every problem on, on earth, which I don't think will ever happen. But there is my bare thesis on Jack Dorsey. Yeah, so I, I got you. I understand. Um, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Bitcoin guy, actually. So for yeah, I saw. That's, that's into Square. Um, you know, it kind of makes me a little bit more bullish on uh, Square. Um, you know, for me, uh, I think that they have like a bunch of different aspects of Square as a whole, right? So I think um, they've implemented the Lightning Network within Cash App, which essentially allows me to send payments from me to you over in Europe and I'm in America. So I can send them to you instantly without even having to touch um, you know, any type of banking system or anything like that. Um, and I can send that to you for very low fees where right now, um, you know, if I wanted to send you a hundred dollars or something from a, an American bank to a European bank, there's going to be some sort of routing fee. Uh, you know, it might cost a few dollars or maybe even in some cases up to you know $20 when it, uh, you know, the, if I were to do it through something like a Western Union or something along those lines, or PayPal, um, yeah, yeah, or PayPal. So I think uh, I think that makes it extremely powerful uh, as far as like Cash App goes, because you know if they charge like a small fee, uh, it'll still be better than what's currently being done on the on through banking, and uh, you know it's also kind of going through the Lightning Network. So at the same time, you can send dollars or you can get you know euros or something along those lines and it would essentially be uh, dollars that used to buy bitcoin then it's sent over through the bitcoin network and uh you know then you get euros on the other side so when it comes to that transaction fee or you know changing from uh dollars to euros it's not going to be necessarily that big of a fee or anything like that too so uh, I think that's extremely powerful. And then I think, you know, using uh, the peer-to-peer -peer, like merchant uh, systems that they have here, um, you know, another big point is that uh, Visa and MasterCard, every time you swipe a card, they use 3% or they take 3% of, um, you know, that charge. And yeah. so um, Square has the ability to, I believe, uh, start like implementing the Lightning Network into that. Whereas instead of 3%, it'll go to well less than 1% of that fee if they kind of undercut Visa and MasterCard. And because they already have all those merchants there, I think, you know, Bitcoin can be used for quite a bit stuff. 
And uh, I think, you know, Jack Dorsey recognizes that. He recognizes the power of, of Bitcoin. Um, and I think to, you know, founder-led companies, like you're saying, are just, uh, you know, usually tend to be a lot more successful than, than non-founder-led companies. So uh, I like, too, that he's going in there full-time. But uh, I guess somebody who's a, a Bitcoin bear uh, or maybe doesn't necessarily like all the Bitcoin aspects of uh, Square, why do you, uh, I guess, why do you like Square so much uh, going forward and why do you have such a big, a, a big uh, portion of your portfolio of it? So just so to be clear, I had Bitcoin for four years. Um, I sold most of my cryptos last year. Because, um, first of all, there is this huge aspect of the whole crypto market, which is worth $1.8 trillion or something, which, to be fair, doesn't really make sense. Because if you look deeper, there's still the threat of Tether blowing up. If they do an audit and they found out, well, that money is backed by nothing. Um, and then with Bitcoin and the Bitcoin Lightning Network, the Lightning Network is, is a major update upgrade. Because well, right now, Bitcoin is expensive to, to use. It's very slow as well. Now, with the, the Lightning Network, you can also say, why not use Ripple? Obviously, there's the lawsuit now, but the Ripple Network has been around for a couple of years now. It works super fast worldwide. doesn't cost that much either to send money from one country to another. Different currencies doesn't really matter. It's like the Swift uh, that, that we use today. Just update it and it will be much better. Because Lightning Network is centralized. I know a lot of people don't want to know this, but you went from Bitcoin decentralization to centralized. I think my camera shut, shut off. So let me just change, the, change the, the, the battery here. I knew this was going to happen. All right, sounds good. But maybe let's go. Okay, let's go back to the... The PC one. Okay, so I was saying, okay, decentralization, then it went to centralization. So if if we find this Satoshi guy and we tell him, look, we took your Bitcoin that was centralized and now it's extremely uh, decentralized and now it's extremely centralized, I don't know if he would be very happy to hear that. But for the sake of, of use cases, fine, it's great. It's great that you can send money abroad doesn't cost you a lot and it's, it goes by extremely fast. Um, but do you need Bitcoin to do that? I don't think so. I think you can use other P2P apps like Revolut to send the money from one country to another and it arrives in a matter of seconds. Doesn't really cost you that much. Um, I don't know maybe Venmo has that ability as well. I don't know because we can't use it here, but I understand I understand that the Bitcoin network for security reasons might be something to be used as a platform for, for payments to, to be settled on. But the main argument every Bitcoin maximalist has, and it's fine, it's Bitcoin is number one. It's, there's a reason it's number one, um, etc. But the facts are that Bitcoin is here already for 13 years and there has not really been that much of an upgrade on the whole Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin thing. Um, like I know it's it's funny, but Dogecoin is is a much better currency to buy things and sell than than Bitcoin today. Um, I know it's a meme coin, but like if you want to transact, 
I can pay you with Dogecoin, doesn't cost me much. You get it in a matter of seconds and then you go on with your day. Like maybe you've seen the tweet today that Bitcoin has settled $13 trillion in payments or something last year, more than Visa, which is, okay, great, great number, but how much of that is actually going to goods and services being sold? How much of that is Tether and how much is it from trading? Because I think the majority of it is purely trading or like printing from Tether, going from one wallet to the other, one exchange to the other. Because use cases, I'm not going to buy a Coke bottle with Bitcoin today or tomorrow or next year. Yeah, well, I think, you know, in, in Europe and in the United States, um, you know, where we have a little bit more of a, <coughs> sorry, uh, stable currencies, I think, um, you know, we don't really see the initial use case of, of Bitcoin, right? Because, you know, it, it moves and, and to, to us, you know, initially Bitcoin is very volatile and same with all the other cryptocurrencies. Uh, like I said, I think that the decentralization aspect of Bitcoin is, is very big. And I think that the non-control of, um, you know, potential, uh, you know, governments or anything like that. Uh, I think, you know, the use case of uh, Bitcoin has kind of been shown uh, with various things. You know, a lot of uh, donations were made to the Ukraine and, and things like that. Um, and then there was also like, you know, the trucking convoy in Canada, um, where a lot of donations were made to the truckers there. And, you know, a lot of Bitcoin was transferred. And uh, I think I saw an article today, too, that where, uh, you know, Bitcoin, uh, a lot of the donations were seized, but I think like 13 million or so of the donations that were made through Bitcoin were not able to be seized or anything like that, where, um, you know, other potential uh, coins, like if it was Dogecoin or Ethereum or something like that, and a uh, country or government really wanted to shut it down, it could because, you know, it's all run on one, you know, AWS server or something like that, where, you know, Bitcoin can't really get shut down. It would have to go to every single miner's house, uh, you know, all over the uh, the globe, which uh, is pretty unrealistic, uh, to be honest. But, um, you know, I, I, like I said, it's it's uh, an, a, definitely an, a growing aspect of Square. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it, too. Um, but, uh, part of the benefits, you know, might not be uh, initially gratifying for a lot of shareholders or investors, but I think, you know, in the long term, it's going to be really good for Square and uh, you know, just implementing it going forward. Um, I, di- I didn't even answer the question why I have Square now. Yeah, because uh, I went on the Bitcoin rant. But the main the main reason why I bought Square at first is because of of everything they're doing besides the Bitcoin aspects with Cash App, with the seller side system, the seller side of the business now with Afterpay is basically upgrading everything that traditional commerce and banking had and just upgrading into a more digital age. With Cash App, if you want to get your pay tomorrow, you'll get your pay tomorrow. Maybe you'll pay a little fee, but at least you don't have to wait until the end of the year. And if it's your employer that's using Cash App, you're using Cash App, the whole store is using Cash App, everything goes smoothly. You have every financial data point that you need. If you need to take out loans, then they know exactly how much comes in, how much comes out. 
easier to pay. Um, with Afterpay, obviously, the last report that we saw is, is a lot of people are doing buy now, pay later, but can't really pay up and then fees rack up and bad debt racks up for the company. But that's obviously something that they will need to figure out going forward. So overall, my play with Square is basically a play in, in the revolution, let's say, of the whole financial system plus the commerce side of, of things. Um, I think the time of, of making like bank transactions that take three days are, are over. It never made sense to me that I'm sending money from my account to someone else takes three days, but my money is already gone after one second. So it doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. And look, if they want to do the Bitcoin play, fine. But why, why not give the other cryptocurrencies a chance as well to be traded on Cash App, especially since Jack sold his first tweet using the Ethereum network, which, which I think is is pretty funny. Yeah, and I'm I'm not really sure if uh, you know Jack Jack ended up doing that if or if it was somebody else at Twitter, because um, like right now, you know, it's not only. Um, it's not only you know Bitcoin, but uh, or with Square. But when Jack was on uh, at Twitter, still, um, you know, you could send tips or send uh, satoshis, which are you know small bits of Bitcoin, yeah. um, to each other through, um, you know, through the Twitter account. So I have tips enabled on mine, and you know, if somebody wanted to send me, you know, satoshis or dollars, even um, they could do that through the Lightning Network. And, uh, you know, almost instantly, whereas, uh, you know, after he left, that's when they kind of implemented the NFTs for your avatar, your profile picture or whatever you want to call it and other things, too. So uh, I think Jack's always been you know, really outspoken about how he's, you know, just a Bitcoin bull. And I think, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a strictly Bitcoin guy, so I, I, I think it's good personally because I think you know, dabbling in other uh, altcoins or, you know, everything else, it's not, um, you know, it's not going to be necessarily good for, um, you know, necessarily investors too. And I think, you know, a lot of times those Ethereum gas fees and everything are kind of uh, downplayed by, you know, some other investors, but, um, you know, to make a transaction on the Ethereum network and, and the development of Web3, has uh, been slowed and, and delayed quite a bit. Um, so I think, you know, just going forward, it, it's going to be a, a, a an interesting uh, way to see how all these uh, play out, whether Bitcoin versus everything else. But, um, you know, I, 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 I try to keep this to more of like a stock and uh, macro, but, you know, Bitcoin kind of touches a lot of different companies too. So another company that holds quite a bit of Bitcoin on their balance sheet as well as Tesla. And you have Tesla as your biggest holding, uh, I believe at 32%. Yeah. yeah, 32% now. So um, how did you, uh, I guess, find or determine to start invest in Tesla? And I guess what's your overall uh, bullish thesis on Tesla? Okay, so first up with the crypto thing, I hold Coinbase. Because I do believe in a future where things get built on the blockchain, where different companies might get tokenized, etc. Um, and if I do want to get exposure to Bitcoin or the other altcoins, I prefer to do it through a company that is basically the infrastructure, let's say, <clears throat> and have maybe less risk or so. So there is that. And then with Tesla, 
it started, I started the position in 2019, uh, I think post split price of 30, no, $42 or so. Um, why? Well, I think because back then 2019 was really the time where daily you saw FUD articles flow, flood the market, like Tesla is not going to make it, this is companies going bankrupt, this and this and that, even though we could see quarter after quarter that things were getting pretty good for the company. And it, <laughs> a couple of months after I, I entered uh, my, my position, I initiated my position, sorry, the company showed that it's, it's growing and growing extremely fast. Um, and then again, yes, the majority of its money comes from cars, selling cars. So yes, it is a car company. But then again, everything that you can do with the car, everything they can do with your car, uh, with upgrade updates, uh, full self-driving, whenever that will be solved. Because like, yes, I'm a Tesla bull, but I, I don't like it when people say, oh, full self-driving is here. No, it's not. I've seen videos from a couple of years ago and I'm seeing videos from today. And to be honest, I don't really see much. Uh, yes, sometimes when you live in a quiet neighborhood, then obviously the car will have a easier time to, to drive, but I'm not going to be the one that's going to take my car and say, oh, get me to work now because no, there are simply too many bad drivers on the road and the computer is still not that smart today. Maybe in a couple of years, yes, because I do think that full self-driving eventually will be solved and would be much better than new ones. But yeah, there's also the energy side of the business with Tesla, which fine right now is extremely small, but I think we've seen, especially now, how important energy energy is and how important control over your own energy consumption is. So I think that's going to be something big in the future. And then, yes, they do hold Bitcoin, but then again, if you look at the grand scheme of things, it's extremely small. Like I have Palantir and they hold gold, which now seems like a genius move, but I don't think it's going to impact the long-term thesis of, of my investment. I gotcha. So um, you kind of brought up Jack Dorsey about, um, you know, maybe being a, a negative or uh, you know, not necessarily being the greatest uh, CEO or, or reason why you invest in uh, block. Uh, but Elon is also so, somewhat of a polarizing CEO. So I guess what are the, uh, I guess, biggest differences as to why you, you maybe you like Elon and you don't like Jack? And uh, um, yeah, why, why do you think uh, Elon is, uh, is able to run multiple companies and uh, let Tesla be as successful as it is? So with Elon, it's, it's the track record as well, like, it's, it's uh, pretty impeccable that the guy has started SpaceX, uh, PayPal, SpaceX, Tesla, even though some people say he didn't start Tesla, it was started by those two other guys, but those two other guys barely had even the name or, or any, any vehicle. Um, but he has shown that he can do what he says. Like all memes aside, he delivers, sending people to space, getting those rockets back, Tesla, been going up 50% each and every year on, on production, on earnings per share, etc. Um, then there's the boring company in Neuralink and, and all those other projects. Now, whether or not he'll be successful with Twitter, buying the company, because I'm pretty sure there are some people in the background that want to make sure that he will not buy the company, but remains to be seen. 
And with Jack, well, we've seen what happened with Twitter, right? Since it became public up until Elon made the bids, you, you were pretty flat on your investment. The platform itself has not really evolved that much unless you like censorship. Then yes, it has evolved tremendously uh, in, in a bad way. But yeah, and then with Square, with Square, I'm, I'm, I was very happy with everything that's going on with the company, right? They're growing tremendously in the United States with Cash App, the seller side, etc. They handled the pandemic quite, quite nicely. The only issue is it's taking a bit too long to expand outside of the United States. Because if you look at the European market, it's extremely saturated with fintech companies right now and P2P apps um, you have in the, in the United Kingdom, you have Monzo, which is huge. You have then big parts of Europe, Revolut, which is huge as well, which is now I think also available in the United States. Yes, they bought a company called Verse in Spain, but that was what, two years ago already? Um, and they're still testing out things. So my huge bull thesis for Square was a worldwide financial play, a bit like PayPal, because PayPal, most people don't know it, but PayPal is, is available worldwide, even in China, which is one of the only companies that can say this. I don't expect Square to be available in China, but um, Europe is a pretty big market. Jack being the Bitcoin fan that he is, I think Africa can be a huge opportunity um, for Square. And then now with Afterpay, Australia, New Zealand should come in to play as well. But it's, it's, taking, it's taking a while, I, I believe, with the expansion. I know that's one of the major plans for this year. I know they said in the last earnings call that they're going to expand probably through another M&A, much smaller ones, obviously, than, than Afterpay. But I will wait and see, I guess. I gotcha. So um, I guess, uh, you know, it seems you're a little on the fence with this square holding. So um, uh, how would you determine or when would you determine that you would, you know, exit a position and uh, you know, overall, is it, it not only square, but how do you determine that? All right, this is not, or my thesis has changed or, or something along those lines. And this is not something that I want to invest in going forward. So for square, it's the second business po biggest position because I give it. I give them time. They're still growing quite nicely in the United States. I think Cash App, the adoption of Cash App, is growing each and every year, and also the fact that a lot of young people are using Cash App. As they grow older, they probably spend more money through the Cash App ecosystem, maybe Square seller side as well. So that's going to improve over time. Banking, etc., is also will come into play. And as you said, they can undercut Visa and MasterCard if they wanted to. Um, they don't even need to go under 1%. I think they can do 1, 1.25% or so and still be much cheaper than everybody else. Um, so there is time. Now, when the time will come that United States, it's like the growth story is over and I see nothing happening outside the United States, then it's going to be a, an issue because, well, it's not a growth company anymore. And then you've missed your opportunity to grow in, in other huge, huge markets. Um, that's specifically for, for Square. Now for other positions, for example, Teladoc last, last week, horrible, horrible after earnings uh, price action down 46% in a matter of hours because, not because the quarter wasn't good. It was good, but 
a month ago, you saw the CEO talk in a conference on how great the company has been performing or how great one product of a company is and the competition can't keep up, etc. And then one month later, during the earnings call, he says the exact opposite, which as a shareholder, you start asking questions whether if they lied or didn't tell the truth on this aspect, maybe they're not telling the truth on other aspects, and we're going to see this in the following quarters. So it might just be one quarter that this happened, and then it's not going to happen anymore. But things like that, I understand why people exit their position, because if you can't trust management, then, well, you're just flying blind here. But uh, yeah, overall, I, I like to keep my, my holdings for a couple of years at least and then see where we're at. But uh, the core holdings, I, I plan on keeping like Tesla Square and then the other 4 to 5%. They're not going to go anywhere anytime soon because well, one, some of them are established companies and the other ones I have full confidence in, in management and, and the product. So either the thesis is broken, management lied, or maybe I find something better, which is also something that many people forget. Like if I find something better and I can see that money being used much better by another company, then fine, we'll switch. Like I'm not married to, to any stock. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to view at it. You know, you're not necessarily married to any stock, um, although, you know, you have money or anything tied into it. Or money or time from researching, watching shareholder you know, meetings or anything like that. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a business and it's a way for you to kind of make make your profit. So uh, not being married to a specific t uh, stock is definitely a good way to look at it uh, for sure. So um, I guess how do you determine you know when you're going to to buy and uh, to, to buy something? Do you look more at financials or anything like that? Is that is there, uh, I guess, a lot of numbers that you use to analyze where you think a stock is undervalued? Or are you now kind of focusing um, on companies that, you know, you kind of believe in their company mission or some CEOs or anything like that? Because we did say at the beginning, you know, it is a very volatile time and it's down a lot, uh, you know, to start this year. So, um, it seems like stocks are getting kind of cheaper now. Um, so how are you determining if you want to you know, get into a new position or not? Yeah, so obviously we're looking at, well, if it's a profitable one, then P-E ratios. But then again, if it's barely profitable, then the P-E ratio doesn't really make sense because it's going to be extremely, extremely high. Um, so you, I like to use their earnings as a better indicator so you can see actual growth of the companies because if you just look at like PE, PS, V2 sales, etc., you get numbers right now or trading 12 months or next 12 months. But if you look at the earnings report and past numbers, you get a much, much bigger uh, picture. And yeah, I agree right now you have a lot of companies that are extremely cheap nowadays that yes, the stock might be down 60%, but the company has grown another 30, another 40% or so. So why not open a position or add to your position? For example, Coinbase, it's a company that's growing extremely fast. It has a P of seven or eight right now, which is crazy. But yes, I admit, like I tweeted out, like, I do expect that P to be much bigger since they expect to be a bit less profitable this year because of their various investments, because of the whole crypto environment and macro environment that is changing. But again, a company like that, that is already very profitable, 
growing extremely fast, why not open a position? And then I like to dollar cost average, so it doesn't really matter to me at first if the, if the stock price goes down, as long as the business is doing great, I just put more money into it over the long term. Um, yes, I did make some mistakes. For example, with Shopify, I should not have added so much when it went to a thousand when I thought, oh, it went to a thousand and a bit under, well, it's now at 400 and something, um, but it's still a great business. But yes, it was expensive back then. Um, so should have added maybe a bit less, but yeah, you live, you live and, and you learn uh, with Amazon. I do plan on adding as well, even though everybody thinks that it's a, suddenly turned into a, a, a bad company, which doesn't really make sense. Um, like I buy most of my stuff here this is from amazon because it's easy um i do i don't want to say that it doesn't make sense that i buy extremely small stuff and then i get a huge box then i can understand why they're not making that much money on their e-commerce side but the advertising side is huge it's bigger than youtube and nobody seems to talk about that aws is well i know it's a joke now but you're basically paying for aws when you're buying when you're buying Amazon now and you get various parts of the business for, for close to nothing. But uh, yeah, I basically like to work my way up in my in my positions. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so that's a good point. Uh, and, I, and I like the way you look at it for sure. Um, all right. Well, we're coming towards the end here. So um, I got uh, a couple questions, uh, I guess, uh, left. So... Um, for somebody starting out, uh, we'll, we'll end with two questions. What what advice do you have for somebody starting out, um, you know, investing who's just kind of looking into it? Um, you know, do you have like maybe a specific way that you would recommend some newbie to start uh, investing? And then, um, you know, a follow-up question to that is, uh, how would you convince somebody, I guess, to start investing uh, during this a volatile time when everybody sees and all the new he news headlines is very much negative and that the stock market is, you know, down and everybody's quote unquote losing a bunch of money. So for newbies, it's extremely important to start small and slow, right? Like why are you running? This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Um, you have time. You have time to build up your position. If a company is doing well and the stock price goes up, fine. Then your initial position is growing as well it's not like you're losing money here like you're you're not losing money that's the whole part of the game to not lose lose any money um do your research like yes for youtubers we put content out there we, we write articles we put podcasts etc but that's information information that we put out there the same thing you, that you get from earnings report etc at the end of the day you're the one clicking the buy or the sell button not me or or you um, it's your, it's like, it's their money. It's not mine. Um, so it's extremely important to trust your, I wouldn't say your gut because your gut might be wrong more times than, than not, but to trust your research and not someone else that says, oh, I think this is going to the moon. It doesn't work like, maybe it works. I know in the crypto space, I've been in the crypto space like for a while and, and Obviously, there were those crypto gurus that say, oh, we're going to the moon. This is 100x. I know this is going to happen. And then, and then obviously, we all know what happens next. Like, there is a pump and dump and, and et cetera. So it's important to treat your holdings as they are. You are a shareholder, which means you are 
owning this business as well. Don't treat it as, as like garbage or something like that. Um, and then can you remind me the, the, the second question was? The second question was, um, you know, if somebody is looking at the market and seeing, hmm. you know, getting a little afraid of trying to get in, um, what would you, what advice would you give them to, I guess, you know, get started investing even in a time like, like we are in today? Yeah. So first of all, if you have friends and family that are afraid to invest right now, just show them past, past historical, like historical graphs from 2008, maybe even the dot-com bubble, even though it did take a lot of years for some companies to, to go back to their all-time highs, but the great depression, world war two, um, I'm probably missing some other years, the seventies or sixties or something. Um, but it's always best to start investing when everybody tells you not to invest, because that's usually the time where, where you will be making money when they think that it's time to invest and, and you might be selling at that time. Um, like they say, buy low, sell high. It's not buy high, sell low. Um, and again, it's, it's completely normal for people to be maybe less comfortable to, to, to buy stocks right now because, yes, there is high inflation. So maybe you rather buy some food or, or whatever to provide for your family than buying stocks, which is completely normal. And this is why I would say the next thing, never invest money you cannot afford to lose because then it's already the biggest mistake you can, you can make because you might pull out your money too early. Um, I've been reading a, a book this, this weekend, uh, 100 Baggers by Christopher Meyer great book and there's a story there of someone that that told his friend to buy a warren buffett's uh, berkshire hathaway stocks when it was it went from eight dollars to 70 72 73 dollars or so he told the story his friend bought in and then it obviously crashed it crashed to 34 dollars. that friend wasn't happy but two years later it was at 96 dollars and obviously today it's well, i don't know hundreds of thousands of dollars or something per per share. So yes, short-term pain is, is worth it for long-term gains. Um, if you cannot stomach it, then buy the index. Easy. Yeah, and I think now too, uh, you know, the indexes might be a little bit more volatile than normal. But yeah, like you said, at the same time, the S&P 500 averages about an 11% return every year. So uh, some years are going to have down, some years are going to have big ups like we had in 2020. So, um, yeah, for anybody listening that is uh, or watching that is new to investing or thinking about getting in, you know, there's never uh, you know, the best time is yesterday and the second best time is today. So, um, yeah, go ahead and uh, and listen to some of the Couch Investors uh, wise advice there and uh, get in while you can. So uh, yeah, Couch Investors. Yeah, read, read books. books, educate. There's a lot of free education out there too. That's well, that's what helped me. So I don't really have a, you know, a traditional investing background or anything. And I was able to watch a lot of YouTube videos, read a lot of books and, uh, you know, blogs and other things like that to kind of filter through, um, you know, some good and bad advice. And you kind of just learn the way, you know, through that. So um, Couch Investor, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, um, you know, on, on Common Stock and Twitter and your YouTube and everything like that. Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, and then for everybody listening, 
Friday we have our, our little game on uh, with common stock where we'll be presenting some some companies. So be sure to join. Um, and yeah, you can find me, Couch Investor, on YouTube, Couch Investor on Twitter, and Common Stock as well. Uh, and then on the Motley Fool, you will see some articles there as well. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, everybody go ahead and give him a follow and follow his uh, YouTube on Twitter and uh, Common Stock. He puts out some great stuff. All right, Couch Investor, that's it for the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. Really appreciate you coming out. Thanks for having me.